Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. Thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah. Randy, we have some catching up to do. Man, don't we? It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just start uh, with some things that I wanted to ask about. You are officially retired. Hey, I am. And um, it doesn't feel like it, but... Uh, <laughs> I know you were just telling me your your schedule. You seem like you're uh, you're equally as busy. Man, yeah this this online format you think oh, it would be easier, but man, you just start booking like oh well I've got this hour this day, and then later that day I've got another hour, and then another, and all of a sudden it just piles up. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So because everybody has the you know the the Zoom technologies and the online stuff now. You, you don't have to physically get somewhere to like, you know, be on a panel or speak at a conference. And so you can just have them back to back to back. Yeah. And I, I, I'm my I need to say no more. That's my problem. Mm. Um, let's talk about building a, a new building. Have, you mentioned that the, the ground has been broken. Yeah, we're really excited about this. Um, uh, it, as much as I can be, my Edith and I have both been sick for quite a while, but uh, mm-hmm. about three weeks now, and I had pneumonia, and I'm still getting over it, and that nasty bug that's going around that keeps you coughing for months. And uh, so, um, but anyway, in in the midst of all that, I can't really get out and see what's going on as much as I'd like. But mm-hmm. but they broke ground. I started uh, using the uh, skid steer to create a level level place where they can pour concrete and uh, and then they'll start building the pole barn building on top of that. So, yeah, we're pretty excited about that. I think maybe by mid-March it should be done. I think the original date was March 1st, but I think they're a couple of weeks behind now. So That is utterly amazing. And the fundraising for it went well, it seems. Really well. People just supported the idea. Wow. Um, we raised um, half of the amount that we need. Um, but the half is enough to pay for the builder to build the building. Okay. I'll dry it in. And then we've got to finish it all ourselves. So we're actually going to create a, a sort of a, a wish list where people can go to and say, oh, I want to buy a, a one of the six table sets. So, wow. you know, I can buy a table set this month or yeah. that kind of a thing. Because I really get tired of asking people for money, you know. Uh, <laughs> And then we're hoping that maybe a group or two comes out and uh, says, oh, yeah, we want to build the bunks, you know, or something like that. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, so we're trying to be creative about how we we build the rest of it. So to finish it, but uh, at least we'll have a dry place to to meet and um, and then we'll yep. go from it's off grid. So we've still got uh, solar to put in and all that sort of okay. stuff. Wow, that is exciting. I'm yeah, I can't wait to see it and to be out there and oh man, I know that that's been a big vision and drive uh for you and Edith and so to see that yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah, cuz in, you know, it, there's nowhere to meet uh when it's just way too hot in the summer yeah. and when it's just way too cold and windy and rainy in the winter. So so that basically narrows it down uh, to a couple windows in spring and fall for us. So, so this will uh, allow us to have, uh, excuse me. I think the vision is to have 
maybe seven schools a year, what we call extended weekends. Oh, wow. Then two to three summits where we maybe invite about 60 people. Um, And uh, yeah, so that's what we're looking at. If somebody does not follow you on Facebook, uh, they are missing out because the groups that come out to to be with you out there, the pictures of, you know, people in the groups that meet out there, it looks like it's just an amazing experience. Yeah, they seem to, you know, have a lot of fun, learn a lot. And it's, it, from all we can tell, it's it's uh, meaningful. So Good, good. Um, also, just to mention on, on the Facebook front, um, like tomorrow, so this will come out on Thursday. And then on Friday, you're doing a panel discussion at the Open and Relational Theology Conference. And, yeah, they're um, having a bunch of people who've written books that they think are related to open and relational theology. And my book, Indigenous Theology and the Western Worldview, is going to be... So there'll be uh, uh, four panelists. Uh, two of them are uh, people I invited as Native folks, and, and oh. people haven't heard from uh, these young Native theologians. And so we'll have uh, Chris Oklatubi and uh, Danny Zacharias both there uh, So oh, We'll be nice. responding to, to the book. Wow. And is your book being well-received? Are you hearing a good feedback on it? I saw it's quite been, a bit of buzz. Yeah, it's it's getting some buzz, but, but um, like, uh, of course, you know, I came out with three books last year, right? So, in <laughs> uh, two chapters. <laughs> wow. So, but, uh, yeah, the, so being, becoming rooted has done really well. It's the mass market book, right? And it's been doing real well. And people have been sending me pictures from all over the place. Um, they're in little bookstores in little towns in New York or uh, down at a B. Dalton's in Florida. And they're really? like, your book's here, your book's here. And they're sending me pictures on Facebook and things. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. Indigenous theology in the Western worldview uh, is is getting a lot of uh, um, serious inquiries and discussion um, my, also my newest book, Mission and the Cultural Other is getting, and I'd say those are, those books are probably neck and neck, mm-hmm. uh, both important books and they say different things, but on sort of the same subject. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've been asked to talk a lot about those two books. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, so I think, you know, um, it was uh, definitely worthwhile to, to get those things launched. Wow. And some controversy, right? There's some people who don't like <laughs> some of the things I say, and and they're yeah. they're uh, battling that out online, like uh, things like, uh, well, is it okay to use the word healing as a substitute for salvation, and things like oh. that. Things that I put forth there, um, and uh, yeah. so it's fun to watch all that. I'm not going to get in the middle of it all unless I'm really invited, you know. But uh, yeah, uh, watch that going on. That's fun. Wow, that is exciting. Hey, we want to thank our Patreon supporters for uh, sticking with us and being faithful during a little bit of a break that we had there around the new year. And we want to say thank you to those who continue to support uh, this platform and our conversation. And we're uh, excited to be back as we're actually creeping up towards 100 episodes very slowly at this point, but we're going to get there. (laughs) Yeah, creeping is a good word. (laughs) 
And so if you want to share this episode or uh, comment on it, if you want to become a Patreon supporter, you can find the link in the show notes. But we just wanted to acknowledge our Patreon supporters and say thank you for your ongoing support. Yeah, that's really important to keep us going. Yeah. Randy, tomorrow is an important anniversary. It is. And so um, today I thought uh, we thought maybe it might be appropriate to uh, to do something called Remembering Richard Twist. Mm. Richard Twist was uh, a native leader and uh, missiologist, theologian who passed on 10 years ago. It really doesn't even seem like it's been that long. I mean, yeah. um, but it was such an important voice and such an important um, mm. role that he had in a number of movements that we thought let's let's dedicate uh, a, a podcast just to remembering Richard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a friend and a mentor, an amazing uh, speaker, and a you know just a, a thought leader. Uh, had a powerful uh, critique because it was uh, laced with humor and uh, and insight, and he was so quick. Uh, he, he was just an amazing in the moment thinker who could spar with with anyone, and uh, but not in a way that. Well, I mean, sometimes it did put him on the defensive, but it was disarming the his charm. Yeah, charm, very charming. <laughs> That's a great word for Richard. Um, of course, uh, he was a Lakota man. Uh, he, uh, his uh, mother was from Rosebud, uh, his father from Pine Ridge. Um, Richard was raised uh, as a young child on the reservation and then uh, moved to uh, Denver, Colorado for a few years. Mm. And then finally to Silverton, Oregon, where he spent his high school years. And um, was part of the uh, uh, takeover of the Bureau of Indian Affairs movement during the Trail of Broken Treaties, and uh, and then uh, in uh, Hawaii on an LSD trip found Jesus. <laughs> you know, just a normal experience, right? Uh, wow. So quite quite a bit of life there. He also, I think, he lived in Alaska in a community for a while too, maybe. Mm. But. Uh, yeah, uh, a lot of experience, a lot of stuff that he brought with him. Um, and uh, so we should talk about our relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe we'll talk about yours first, Bo. So you knew Richard in several ways, but one primary way was as uh, we were both readers on your uh, your uh, master's thesis. Yeah, that was an amazing experience. I, I was actually just thinking about that the other day. I, I had it put together that we were coming up on 10 years uh, since his passing. But I was thinking about it the other day because I was driving a stre- stretch of road that I had um, driven with him and just remembering our conversation. But, yeah, I've told this story before, and, uh, and I can actually link to an episode that we did early on uh, honoring his memory. But... Uh, this is, was one of the most powerful uh, moments, I think, in my adult life is writing that master thesis on contextual theology and specifically engaging a Native American contextualization 
Uh, and Richard was my, the second reader. And so we met in the summer. I was writing, I turned it in at the end of the spring semester. And so in the summer, so we were, uh, at the building there in Tigard, Oregon, and we were like the only people around. It was a mostly empty building. And so we had this conference room all to ourselves. It was very official. And uh, Richard begins by asking the question really like thoughtfully, but also a little, you know, he was struggling with how to ask it. And, you know, having just read a 125 page, you know, thing, um, asked in a very gentle way, well, so I read it and I understood it, but why, why would, why did you write it? <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like, uh, is, is that not obvious? I, you know, I had not really thought and my inability to actually articulate why did I find this subject worth writing on? Like, what was the motivation behind it? It really, I mean, it's, it sounds silly now that I'm saying it out loud, but it caused me to really say like, yeah, why does this sit so deeply in me? Why does this something that I am so compelled by. And I realized that I hadn't put, I had sort of reported on the subject. Mm -hmm. And so Richard and you uh, actually made me rewrite the first chapter in order to put myself in the paper. Because one of the things he was really clear with me on, uh, not just that day, but on a different occasion as well, is that it, it does Native folks no good, in a sense, to have a, a white person report on their work, even though they appreciate it, you know, the, the, the work and the attention. But if I have not if I have no skin in the game, if I have no nothing at stake, if I haven't placed myself in the endeavor, then I really have reinforced the very, that Western worldview of standing back with, you know, uh, presumed objectivity, I, I would say, right. exactly. and reporting on other people's work, but not work that I have done in myself and with a community. Right. And so it was just a powerful, I mean, it's such a simple question. So why would you say you wrote this? <laughs> and, but it was my inability to articulate that and respond that exposed that I was really still struggling to come out of that educational framework of, um, of standing back and reporting on a subject that I had researched thoroughly, which I displayed, you know, in the work, but that sometimes when you are writing on a subject, the subject won't allow you to do that. It's because there's no integrity. Um, well, yeah, maybe say it this way. If, if you are writing from that outside perspective, 
Yeah. And especially if you're a white person, a white yeah. guy, and in a colonial system like uh, the United States of America, and basically then the what you're calling the subject actually becomes the object. Mm. Right? Yeah. And and it's like, you know, I have the right to tell all about this and like yeah. I know something about it, right? But I have no skin in the game, right? And so I think, you know, Richard was wanting you to have some skin in the game. Yeah. So the second part of that story is that um, I had already been accepted to a doctoral program. And so it, my timeline was really short as far as doing a rewrite and all my edits in order to get that back in so that then I could move down and start my doctoral program in the fall. So I had this, right? So our, our time comes to an end and, uh, I know that I have to, you know, this, now this assignment to rewrite the first part. And so I'm feeling that pressure. And then Richard needed a ride back to Vancouver and I was driving up to Olympia, Washington. So I was going to be going right past. And so I was going to give him a ride from this meeting. So him and I get in the car and we're driving up and I'm supposed to drop him off. And of course, it's just the time of day. It was horrendous traffic. Uh, going north, um, crossing those bridges. And the conversation we were having was like so rich and good, but I only had two things in my mind. One was trying to navigate traffic. And the other was this new assignment and timeline that I had and the pressure that I was feeling to like, you know, rework uh, this thesis and I was feeling this pressure. And so it was like a semi-casual conversation, but it was also filled with like a little bit of tension. And uh, so I was driving that stretch of road the other day. And I just remembered um, just, just one of those funny circumstances of being in a car with somebody who was your second reader. And, you know, uh, just that awkwardness that I was feeling about what we had just gone through. Yeah. So he was really good at asking good questions. Um, yeah. And, and attending people personally as, as uh, real people. Right. So, yeah. um, uh, and uh, he just sort of had that, that gift of making everybody feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm listening to you, which mm -hmm. is a really, uh, really important thing. Um, I went down to his family camp one time and to see him in that environment of hosting, I mean, there were hundreds of people there, mm -hmm. but his genuine care for people being there and just seeing him in that environment was, I mean, I really grew to respect him so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. When, um, I remember my first conversation with him on the phone. Uh, somebody told me, John Grobner was in, he told me, he said, you, have you met this guy, Richard Twist? He's doing something similar to you. And um, which turned out it, it was and it wasn't. But um, uh, And uh, and so he, he gets me his number, you know. So I call him up and, uh, you know, talk to him for a few minutes. And, and then he says, well, I got to go. And... Uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, who does this guy think he is? You know, 
Mm-hmm. But what I come to find out is that he is a, he was a busy person, but yeah, um, when he was with you, he he made the time and, and yeah. he felt special. So, um, and we always had a very, uh, um, what's the word, um, tenuous relationship. (laughs) (laughs) You were really brothers. Yeah, we, we were very, um, what's the, um, sometimes combative. Yeah. Um, always challenging one another. I, I mean, it really was that kind of iron sharpens iron thing with yeah. us. Um, we were both had strong ideas and uh, um, we're coming from um, similar but different places um, and sort of wanting to things to go uh, in a way that, um, uh, that, that we saw. So um, the, in this, what we would call this big contextual movement, right? Which now we don't even, I don't even call what we do contextual anything. Mm-hmm. It's its just what we do. And and Richard was also at that same place um, before he passed. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, so, but yeah, we became good friends. Um, he had a lot of good friends, you know, in a lot of different camps and places. Um, and I was real fortunate to, to call him one of my best friends. Um, mm-hmm we go out to coffee once a month or so and talk or talk on the phone. And because mm-hmm. uh, uh, we were really, you know, like two people who were doing similar things and there weren't very many of us doing that, especially who live close to each other. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so it was uh, great. The The thing I can say about Richard is like um, the thing that he, you know, he was, he was really cut off uh, in the prime of his mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I think he was 57 when he passed. Um, he was just what I call just getting his stride. Mm-hmm. Just sort of figured out theologically the sort of colonial indigenization thing um, was um, his message was becoming a bit more sharp to people uh, uh, rather than mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, natives should be allowed to do this is where, kind of where he started out. To, to the point where, you know, like you white people need to convert. That's the problem, you know. Mm. So um, uh, I think um, he, he you know, uh, I think about a lot, about all the things that he missed, um, that he would have been so, his voice would have been so valuable to. Um, and, and he was just in a great place to do it. Um, it's unfortunate. More than anything, uh what he would miss the most, uh, if Richard were here right now, he would say, you know, being a grandfather to his grandchildren. Mm. Um, I think that was his his family, of course, was his pride and joy. But his he would have been just one of those spectacular grandfathers, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I know he was looking forward to that. And uh, it's just, you know, really unfortunate that. Life happens like this sometimes. It's yeah. uh, the outpouring of grief after his passing was eye-opening to me about how wide his reach was and where his voice was carrying weight. Globally, all around the world, it was it was unbelievable. 
Australia and New Zealand, uh, you know, places in Europe and other places. So now he, he really was set to be a, a world figure and, yeah. and that's, um, that's the sort of the way that we wanted it. So we, we kind of all were on this journey together. There were a bunch of us, but initially sort of in the educational department, there were five of us who, um, uh, four and five. Um, uh, so that have been Terry LeBlanc, uh, myself, Richard, Ray Aldred, and Adrian Jacobs. And um, uh, we would meet together. We all sort of, um, uh, Adrian would come down once in a while. Ray would come down a little more often. Terry was a full-time student there. Uh, and Richard and I were full-time students there at, at uh, Asbury. And uh, so he would come and stay at our house. Um, we we ha- had a house, and so he would come and stay like a week at a time every month with us. And um, uh, my kids just really enjoyed him and, of course, the other guys too, but especially Richard. They loved to tease him. Yeah. <laughs> he loved to tease him. And Richard was an uncle, what we call uncle in our native way, to so many people around the world. And, um, you know, he would sometimes just call my kids. Um mm-hmm. And talk to them like an uncle would. Mm. And uh, that was very special. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I think, um, and theologically he would, he would be our, he was our, uh, our band leader, if you will, our, uh, we all sort of had different roles, but, and we all ruminated stuff together and grew together in this theological uh, exploration. Um, but Richard was really the, the main voice for us. And so um, he was moving forward the ideas of our group. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, that was with Nate's also as Nate's grew and expanded with so many people and, and many have gone on now uh, from mm-hmm. the original Nate's crew. Um, I think uh, out of, uh, I think half of us that started Nate's are gone now. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so Richard, um, Wendy, Peterson, um, Steve Sheremy, mm-hmm. Cornelius Bullard, um, and I think that leaves just uh, uh, myself, Cheryl Bear, uh, Ray Aldred, and Terry LeBlanc, um, and I think maybe Sherry Russell was a part of that original group. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but but yeah, we it was just this idea um, that uh, Terry and Richard really had about having a symposium. And trying to get into sort of educated circles to academic circles to show what we're doing. Mm. And, uh, and then, um, it, then we took the Alehe model, which was a more educational model and kind of turned that into a master of arts and in intercultural studies. And then I began the, to be the program director of that, um, in, uh, here at Portland seminary. Um, but yeah, so Richard was a part of all of that. And then as a, sort of speaker out there he was everywhere you know putting Mm -hmm. forth the ideas of our group and uh and so um it didn't at all seem like you know i mean people might look from the outside and go you know like he's a like a one-man thing right because he was an incredible speaker he was Um, i say he would he would um tickle your ribs with a knife make you laugh and bleed at the same time right that was kind of his gift (laughs) Um, and, uh, 
but he was out there doing it. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, um, having to be out there, he wanted to be more local mm-hmm. and spend more time with the local community and start serving as an elder here in the Portland community. And uh, he tried that and just quite couldn't afford to, mm. to do it. He had to be out there on the road uh, to bring in the income they needed. So, um, and his health, unfortunately, uh, took a backseat sometimes. He couldn't, he was having a hard time keeping his blood pressure down and things. And mm. he probably should have never went on that trip. But, of course, that's hindsight, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll tell two quick stories about him that show just different sides of his uh, amazing relational capacity. When I was a student, there was an event at the the George Fox undergrad campus. Uh, Oh, I guess it was at the seminary too, but it was a theology of the land that you all hosted. Right. And uh, at one point we were down at the undergrad campus uh, for an evening thing. And uh, afterwards, a group of us uh, wandered over. One of the professors had a house right just right off campus. And so we went over there to have a little fire. And uh, I don't remember what was going on, but um, it was probably that point in the evening where inhibitions are down a little bit. And I I was... I was hot dogging about something. I was, I was, I don't remember what it was, but I was telling some story or making some joke. I don't remember. And uh, I was one of the only non-natives there. And so Richard says to me, he says, you know, you remind me of this uh, story about this bird. And I won't tell the whole joke, but he tells this really long story. I wasn't sure where he was going. And then the story climaxes with a punchline about this bird that um, perceived itself, you know, to be very beautiful and ended up causing itself a lot of trouble. And it ends with this big climax of this story that I'm not sure is um, appropriate for mixed company, if you will. <laughs> and uh, and everyone's laughing and laughing at this, the punchline of this joke. And he never... And that was it. He never said how that reminded him of me. He just, you know, told this story and everyone's laughing. And I couldn't tell, like, was, is he trying to make sure I don't take myself too seriously? Or was he, you know, was he inviting me in to say, like, I see good things in you, but, you know, it was just one of those moments where I realized, like, I, that was, I'm not used to that kind of humor where somebody tells a joke, but then doesn't say why they told it. They just let it stand. And it was so funny, but also there was a little bit of a caution in there to not take yourself too seriously. And I just really, uh, you know, endeared him to me that I really, you know, he's a person that, you know, I, I would look to that I, I did want to impress, but I also, you know, also respected and he would, he would tease you and he would, he would rib you and it was all in, in love, but he would make sure that you weren't getting too big for your britches. Yeah. So, and, um, in the teasing, uh, you know, they say if you're, you're non-native and you're 
people for a while and they don't tease you, yeah. that means they don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> I know you told me that. I think I actually came to you and said, hey, am, uh, is everything okay? Like, am I, am I overdoing it or am I? But, and you told me that. That's funny. But the other th- story is um, several years later, there was uh, back when the emergent church conversation was going on, there was a festival, uh, Wild Goose West. Right. And uh, of course, Wild Goose had been in North Carolina for a couple of years and they tried to bring one west. And I think it was uh, out in Corvallis, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I had driven up, I think, from uh, from California for it. And uh, Richard was there and had uh, brought his very large teepee. Right. And it was sort of um, functioned as a meeting room. And um, we had a very difficult conversation inside that right. um, between some uh, white leaders of the emergent church conversation and some uh, leaders of color who had some concerns about things. And being in that meeting, you know, I really felt the weight of his heart and his concern. But he was such, you know, he had become like really a, a, an elder. I mean, he was a, a person of wisdom. And he, his, the way he carried himself, you know, to uh, facilitate that conversation where really difficult things were being said, but also to make sure that people were being heard. You really saw like, you know, he could, he could levy uh, just a vicious critique at any moment, but he also had a graciousness mm-hmm. to the way that he conducted himself that made sure that people stayed in the conversation and he, he, it wasn't, you, it wasn't going to be easy. You couldn't just stand up and storm out. He wasn't going to let you do that. And if you were uncomfortable or you were upset, you know, t- to make sure that you, you sat with that and that the weight of what was being said was taken seriously and not just being reacted to. I just was really moved and, you know, inspired by just the way that he conducted himself, but to see him come, I had never seen him in that capacity. Of, right. uh, yeah. Well, he could be serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's just, it's just a, such an all around great person to be around and to have as a friend and, and uh, to, to challenge, you know, always moving uh, things forward and challenging. And uh, he, he, his real gift was, he could take a bunch of different kinds of information and then, you know, you know, rattle that around in his brain for a little bit and then sort of synthesize it and make it his own, you know, mm. that was his uh, real gift. Hmm. And uh, yeah. And while at the same time trying to remain a humble person, you know, it was, um, it's difficult when you have that much spotlight on you to maintain humility, but I think Richard did a good job of balancing mm. that. We all made sure that uh, he stayed humbled. So, <laughs> you know, the book that they published uh, after his passing, the Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys. I think yeah. I have the title right. 
Well, yeah, he he had titled it Rescuing Theology from the Cowboys, but uh, I think uh, the publisher thought that if it says theology, not enough people will buy it. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, reading that was sort of, it's sort of weird to read um, that, you know, having after he passed so early and um, just feeling, oh, just uh, what could have been, you know, as you said, you know, he was finding his, his pace and really gaining momentum. And so just feeling the, the loss of that was really, that was a tricky read because it was so good. Yeah. And it changed our whole Nate's community as well. When, when he passed on, things were never quite the same. Mm. Um, so, uh, so were you with us out at that, uh, that thing when evangelicals for justice was mm-hmm. meeting and, uh, <laughs> yes, and I was, that was quite a meeting. Um, <laughs> yeah. So on the way home, uh, I don't remember. Were you in the car on the way home or not? Uh, I think I was in a different car. Okay. So on the way home, uh, Richard was mad at me because I had said some things that made somebody cry. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he was ticked off about that. And, uh, um, and anyway, uh, like basically called me every name in the book on the way home. And we had <sighs> the younger people in the car on the way back and they were watching us, you know, combat. Mm-hmm. And yell at each other, you know, and uh, and I got to drop him off at his car and we got out and we were in front of the car yelling and screaming at each other and everything. And, you know, they, you know, when I got back in, they were like, I thought one of you was going to like pull out a knife and stab the other one or something. (laughs) But but then they said and then like we we watched you guys hug at the end and, and say goodbye. And it's like. What is going on here? <laughs> I, I think that describes a, a lot of. Uh, yeah. Every once in a while, we'd have those times like that. So, um, but we could walk away um, and then, you know, call up a couple weeks later. Hey, you ready to have coffee? Yeah. Okay. You know. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, um, I sure benefited from your friendship together and so appreciated. I mean, you, you two were a, a powerful dynamic tag team and you got good things done uh, together. Even, even though there may have been. <laughs> so. yeah, I remember one of my favorite times with Richard was, um, it was during the, uh, conference that uh, Walter Brueggemann was spoke and okay. uh, that was the justice conference in Portland. That's what Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't go to that. Yeah. And uh, Richard and I did a um, kind of a, I don't know if you call it a workshop, but kind of a, just a question answer thing um, with a room full of people in one of those rooms. And uh, it was really fun. Um, and, and that's on, I think it's on video somewhere. Uh, a lot of questions asked, but there's so, as always with Richard, you know, we'd always turn them into jokes and yeah, and make people laugh. And uh, so it was, uh, that was definitely a, uh, 
one of the highlights of my times of just uh, sitting with him and having fun, you know, mm-hmm. and answering hard questions. And if it got something uh, that he didn't want to answer, he'd just say, well, I think Randy's the expert on that, you know. <laughs> and so he pass it over. <laughs> you know, um, something I think about all the time is when we when you guys hosted that Theology of the Land Conference, we were graced by the tribal, I don't know her title, a leader from the Grand Ron. Yeah, Cheryl Kennedy, tribal chairperson. Okay. Okay. And when she came in, I mean, obviously we're all impressed that she was there and knew that it was a big deal and, you know, wanted to hear from her. Uh, We're really looking forward to that. Richard stood up and apologized to her. Uh, I don't know if you remember this and basically said that if we had had a dignitary from another sovereign people uh, had come into the room, we all would have stood in reverence and respect to honor that we had been graced by this dignitary's presence. And he apologized to her uh, for not doing that. And I mean, sometimes, man, he was serious and he did not mind if you were uncomfortable not that did not bother him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I, yeah, it's just, you know, I, I think, I think it's maybe been about probably a year or so since I've sort of stopped having dreams with Richard in them. <gasps> Whoa. So I can continue to, you know, visit with Richard in my dreams for the last, you know, nine years. Uh, I think it's, it's been probably a year since then. Wow. Last one, but uh, yeah, maybe not quite a year. Um, so, you know, obviously uh, someone I miss dearly uh, had a profound effect on my life and my thoughts. Um, I would probably never tell him that, but, uh, uh, but I think, uh, you know, it was uh, definitely a, uh, a privilege to walk with him and, uh, um, have him be a relative. And uh, I think the world would be a much better place uh, and we'd be much farther along in the sort of our part of the world where native people and trying to figure things out if, uh, mm-hmm. if he were still alive. So sometimes you just, you know, there's no, there's no answer to why, of mm-hmm. course life happens, but, uh, but it is sad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going to link to a couple of his uh, video yeah. in his memorial service. Yeah. And there's so many who, um, there were so many people there, first of all. And it was a, it was a big deal. You know, we had a grand entry because that's sort of what he liked to do. Um, we had different people speaking. Uh, I got to, I was one of the people who got to speak. Um, his, uh, you hear from his uh, kids, his mm-hmm. sons there. And, uh, um, which, you know, I mean, while we all lost this, um, person, some, a friend and to many, just a persona, you know, the family lost a lot because he was, uh, uh, one of those, not just a larger than life person for us, but for his family as well. 
and he was very committed and loving uh, his wife, Catherine, um, and his uh, four sons and, mm-hmm. and uh, his uh, grandson, and now uh, grandchildren. Um, so uh, I hope that they can, you know, realize what a great uh, grandfather he would have been. Uh, mm-hmm. Because I think, like I said, I think that would, that is what he, he lived for. Um, so that inspires me. Yeah. Listener, if you have any memories you want to share with us, we would love to hear those. If you want to take the time to write them out or send us a voicemail, um, connect at piecingitalltogether.com is our email address. Really, it's both a sad day and uh, an important day to remember him. So thank you for thank you for being letting us listen in a little bit. Yeah. And we didn't even talk about how he sort of pulled people together and uh, created a movement, really. Um, So everybody who is like native and Christian or native and trying to follow Jesus or contextual or, you know, and there's many sort of sides to be on and all of that kind of stuff. But really, they have Richard to think um, that uh, he, and he wasn't the only person, right? Um, but uh, he was probably the leading person in pulling people together and moving that movement forward. And so um, you need to remember Richard Twist. Mm.